This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 16th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The new guidance on public school restrooms the Obama administration is imposing on schools is, if nothing else, tone deaf. Neil McCluskey, director of the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom, argues school choice, where values don't have to be imposed from Washington, would end precisely this kind of fighting. Yeah, boy, there's a lot going on in this. So the first thing we probably ought to talk about is what does the North Carolina law say? So uh, what the North Carolina law said was already a problem and that it said, look, if you're a public institution in this state, in particular a school, but I, it, it, if you read the legislation, it seemed to apply to public institutions beyond schools. It said you uh, must have rules that say you can only use the bathroom that corresponds to the sex you were when you were born. Um, and this has made a lot of people angry. And it is sort of an interesting uh, situation where uh, a state has told all local jurisdictions what you're going to do rather than letting local people decide for themselves. This has made a lot of people angry for a lot of different reasons. But the Obama administration, I think, seeing what's happened in North Carolina and seeing what's happened in other states, there have been other states where you've had actually some court cases where people said, look, my child is transgendered, feels uh, it's appropriate to use the bathroom or the locker room uh, that, is, that is for their, the gender they feel that they should be. Um, and we've seen some of these cases in Virginia and Maine. We've seen legislation proposed in other states, not just North Carolina, but South Dakota and elsewhere. And it seems the administration has decided that, look, we can't have states making these decisions for themselves, at least when it comes to schools, to education. And that also includes, by the way, colleges and universities, not just K through 12 schools. Uh, and they said, look, we're going to send out guidance on how we are going to interpret uh, Title IX, which is a longstanding uh, federal rule on discrimination. And I say where it used to say you can't discriminate based on sex, we also take that to mean gender. And that then means that you cannot say that someone may use a bathroom or a restroom that they don't feel is appropriate for their gender identification. So not necessarily what sex you were born, but how you feel, or do you feel like you should be a boy or a girl? That should be your own decision, should be which bathroom you use. At the same time, this seems like a dramatic overreach, while also saying, well, the, the federal government, since the 14th Amendment, may have a legitimate role in making sure that discrimination at the local level is not occurring. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation. So a lot of people have seen this and they said, this is just totally outrageous. Here is the federal government, again, being a national board of education, trying to tell us what we should do. Um, and you can certainly understand that because this is, I think, fair to say, a pretty big change in how people have thought about how you use bathrooms, locker rooms, who gets to use what. And there are very legitimate, I think, concerns. People say, well, what about privacy? There's nothing often that people value more than privacy when it comes to their own body. What do other people see? Um, there are big issues about well, how do you make sure that you don't just have some voyeuristic, you know, 
boys say, well, I feel like I should use the girls' room. And what they really want is just to see girls in the restroom or the locker room. And interestingly, this guidance says you can't ask for any sort of medical verification or something like that to say that you truly have uh, feelings that you should be the other gender, which, of course, is also sort of important because do you want the government deciding you really do feel like you should be the other gender? You, not so much. All of this is very thorny stuff. Um, and so the problem is ultimately you've got this concern about all these thorny issues, but it's also the case, even though this is major change for people, even though they have lots of privacy concerns, that the role of the federal government, I think a legitimate one under the 14th Amendment, is to make sure that states Local governments don't discriminate. And what we often hear is, well, transgender students are such a small part of the population. How should, why should they get to dictate policy? But of course, the, a basic tenet of American life is that we protect minorities. We don't just say, well, the majority should get whatever it wants, and it can persecute minorities. So I don't think it's sufficient to say, well, this group is so small they shouldn't get protection. That puts you at a really at loggerheads, basically. You've got rights of people who say, look, I have a right to privacy. I have a right to decide who gets to be in a locker room with me. Um, we've had longstanding, it seems to many people, social norms of you use a bathroom or you use a locker room that corresponds with the sex you were, that you were born with. And so how do you take these competing rights against the rights of people to say, look, I don't feel comfortable using a restroom just because I was born a boy or a girl. How do you make sure everybody gets equally respected? And the fact of the matter is you can't do that if the federal government dictates to everybody what they'll do and you lead to national conflict. But it's not – we shouldn't be satisfied to say, well, just leave it to local districts or states and that way, you know, only some people will be persecuted or not have their rights respected and others, well, maybe it'll work out for them. In the short term, there is no ideal answer. Probably what's best is that the federal government not try and push social change on everyone right away. As much as we're concerned about the rights of minorities, and absolutely should be, it's probably counterproductive to say we're going to force one answer on everyone. One, because you do have those competing rights, people with the right to privacy, uh, religious objections. People have I think often very serious religious objections saying that they should share a bathroom or a restroom with someone of a different biological sex. How do you balance that with, with the rights of transgendered students? It's not by having one size fits all. What you're doing there is you're forcing conflict. And you're, you may actually be making people even angrier, even more resistant to change than they would be because they're saying, this is now being forced on me and I will not accept things being forced on me where before, you know, maybe I didn't like it, but I would be open to discussing it with people. So in the short term, the best thing we do, even though it's not ideal, is we let local districts make decisions for themselves. At least then you're diffusing the decision-making, where a community where you have most people agreeing, they can come up with a policy or they can come up with some sort of compromise that satisfies people, at least in the short term. In short, then, a whole lot more of these kinds of arguments need to take place before 
somebody decides that a national policy is a way to go. Yeah, and, I, and you would hope it's not just arguments, it's discussion. But you sort of say, well, we're not going to have a discussion when you say, no, everybody must do what the federal government says you're going to do, whether you like it or not. But it's true, again, that the federal government has roles say don't discriminate, and we don't want districts, even if they're having a nice conversation, to continue to discriminate against one group or the other. That's why the real, ultimate, lasting, you know, sustainable solution is only one thing, and it's school choice. It's educational freedom. Why? Because then you, you, know, you attach the money in one way or another. It could be vouchers. Preferably, it's through tax credit, funded scholarships. But regardless of the mechanism, you attach that money to students. You give educators the freedom to set up schools that teach as they see fit, that have policies that those educators agree on. And then the students who come there, the families that come there, also say, we agree with these policies. We agree with the values that this school represents. That way, you don't have to fight over, you know, basically zero-sum game, right? You get one set of schools, and whoever gets the most political power says what those schools are going to do. Instead, you say, we're a free, pluralist society. Let free people with different values, different backgrounds, choose the schools that that share their values. Don't make them fight over it. That doesn't mean we're just saying, well, let's balkanize, let's not discuss these issues. What we see, actually, is that you go to private schools— in private schools, kids tend to be more tolerant than kids who go to traditional public schools, including religious schools. In part, that seems to be because if you all share one set of values, you don't end up often going with the lowest common denominator, for instance, civics curriculum. You can say, this is what we believe, and here, as a result of the things we believe, are lots of concrete things that come from that. Um, volunteer in your community. We think that's important. Uh, you should participate and you know, work in soup kitchens and things like that. And we think that you should respect the right of other people to say whatever they want. In public schools, what we see is avoidance of civics because you get into things that people disagree with. Like, who do you say, well, I'll let them say whatever they want, or these people, well, I don't think, I think they're dangerous. You don't even have those conversations because when you have diverse people in one school, they say, so we don't have constant conflicts, so and we're not angry at each other all the time. Let's just either skip the subject or teach something milquetoast, like, we'll be nice to others, and that's what it's all about. And so I think what the evidence tells us, what logic tells us is we shouldn't keep saying, force one set of values on everyone through the schools, on their children, you know, and we're especially protective of our children. Let free people, plural people, choose schools that meet with their norms, their values, give them what they want so we don't have to beat each other's throats all the time. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. He is author of Feds in the Classroom. This month marks 10 years of the Cato Daily Podcast. Subscribe and share at cato.org slash podcast.